Hi, good day, everyone. Welcome back to Secrets of the Sale. Thanks again for tuning in. I am excited to have with me sitting here, Erica Keller. <laughs> Erica Keller is the founder of Brissa Builders. She's located right here in Brooklyn, New York, and she truly has a heart for the community and community development. She uh, attended school on a full academic, academic scholarship and graduated magna cum laude uh, from NYU in addition to Brooklyn College. And Erica has built upon Brissa Builders' community uh, history as a HUD 202 general contractor, where her father started. The, her father and her stepmother started the legacy of Brissa Builders. They started at the uh, Bedford Re Building, working with the Bedford Restoration uh, Plaza, in addition to expanding throughout the city. Um, Erica has built numerous of projects throughout the city. I'm pretty sure you've drove by if you live in Brooklyn and uh, in the other boroughs. And some of her notable projects are the Robert Moore Senior Housing, Alvin Malcolm Senior Citizens Residence in the Bronx, uh, Bishop Richard Martin Senior Houses in Brooklyn, and so many others. There's too many to mention. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, uh, Erica, for being here. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nadine, for having me. Ab absolutely. <laughs> so I want to start uh, by Brissa Builders. Um, when, you, when did you join the company? When did you start? with Brissa? So Brissa Builders was founded by my father and my stepmother in 1997, and it was primarily a HUD 202 general contracting company. And HUD 202s were the senior housing um, that was funded by the federal government. Mm -hmm. So it was usually 100 units or less, new construction, sponsored by a faith-based organization, a not-for-profit organization, and my father was a general contractor. Yeah. And then my stepmother also would um, help the churches with the application. So she was sort of a housing consultant on the front end and then would manage the properties on the back end because she was familiar with the, um, with the compliance. Mm. Um, and so they, you know, the, the, the HUD-202 program eventually dried up in the early 2000s, and so they transitioned into low-income housing tax credit program, which is what we know as affordable housing today. Right. Um, and uh, they then started to get into development. So the first development project where they were actually part of the ownership structure, um, they started to work on in 2010, and it was actually under construction in 2012 when my stepmother sort of suddenly passed away. Um, she had fought cancer off and on for a number of years, and it was just apparent at this particular time that it was coming back with a vengeance and that she wasn't going to make it. And so I, you know, my father at that point was 80 years old. Mm. And so I really, you know, he was still getting up and going to job sites 4 o'clock in the morning and still very dedicated to the community. And so I felt like I needed to make a move, make a transition, to support, you know, the work that my family had done for so many years. So I left my career as a principal for uh, New York City Public Schools, running a charter school at that time, and decided to join the family business. And wow. so I sort of stepped in my stepmother's place for the project that they were working on at that time, was which was a faith-based project um, in partnership with Berean Baptist Church, where they were doing 107 units of affordable housing as well as 8,000 square feet of community facility space that the church's not-for-profit organization would run medical and educational programs out of. Interesting. So uh, one of the things that people always ask is affordable housing. Well, it's affordable, but affordable for who? How are 
how can you explain how how um they're priced? So so affordable housing before you can talk about or answer the question affordable <laughs> for who you have to talk about the area median income, right? So the area median income is set every year by the federal government, um, HUD, which is the housing the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, and so for 2019, the national average median income was $75,000 for a family of three. Okay. So in New York, because we have such a wide variety of incomes, um, meaning from the highest incomes in the nation to the lowest. Right. Um, in New York, the area median income, and that's New York City. Yes. The area median income is 96100 for a family of three okay. for 2019. And okay. that was a 5% increase over 2018's numbers. So when you think about that number, 96100 as the average 100%, then you can talk about what does affordability mean because the rent program is then tied to that income stream. So you have, you know, below that, which would be 80%, 70% of that 96-100 okay. number. And then you have above that, which would be 110%, 120%. Now, because in New York... We have such a wide range of incomes. Yes. You can go from the Upper East Side where someone makes, you know, $4 million a year to, you know, uh, an area in New York where you have someone making $19,000 a year. Exactly. Because of that spread, New York actually has the highest inequality in terms of in income in the United States. Um, but because of that, it sort of skews what affordable means in New York. Yes. So actually... Anyone making 165% of the area median income is eligible for affordable housing in New York City because of the skewed incomes as well as the skewed rental market. So anyone uh, up to 165%? Up to? Up to. Up to. So therefore, okay. if you look at that, that's a family of three. Mm -hmm. At $158,000. So a family of three at $158,000 can be eligible. Be considered affordable housing. It can be eligible for eligible. affordable housing. And this is for like a two-bedroom or three-bedroom apartment? Well, it depends now on the, the number of people in the family. Right. So I just gave you three is usually what the nation uses kind of as a benchmark just for conversation. So I gave you three for the nation, 75, three, four the um, city, which is 96,100, and right. then three for 165% AMI, which is 158, and 565, 158, 565 okay. is for three, family of three, at 165% AMI. Okay, okay. Uh, so off the top of your head, you don't, do you know of the, maybe, would it be like a $3,000 apartment or... So so yeah. if you look at it um, in terms of uh, unit size, so 160, yeah. so if you take 165% AMI, the salary income for a family of three that yes. I just talked about, you could have ranges for a studio apartment at 2587 Okay. Um, and a three-bedroom apartment at $4,500, okay. right? So, but again, that's at the skewed the, higher, yes, end, the higher and end, and that's because in New York City, you will have market rates 
that are much higher than that. Right, right. right. So, you know, when we're really talking about affordable, we're talking about usually 100% AMI and below. Right. So when you talk about affordable housing in terms of what the city mm-hmm. and the low-income tax credit programs, right. that's usually 60% AMI and below. Okay. All right. So to give you an idea of 60% mm-hmm. um, income for a family of three is uh, 57660 For a family of three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So... Um, what is a, what are the percentage of units designated a set aside for affordable housing developments um, that receive the low income housing tax credits? So, in order to be fully eligible for the low income housing housing tax credits and to be a one hundred percent affordable housing pr- um, project, you need to be sixty percent AMI and below. There are recent regulations given what they call um, income averaging that will allow you to go to seventy percent up to 80%, so you'll have like 77% or 80% AMI that's still eligible for 100% tax credit um, allocation. Um, Once you go above 80%, then you're reducing the amount of subsidy that you're eligible for, right? So when you get towards the 165, you've reduced that subsidy amount to a very low amount. Okay, okay. Um, All right, so let's, I just wanted to, put it in layman's terms because I know you're talking in development for yeah. <laughs> layman's terms for people. So let's say you have 150 unit compl- uh, mm-hmm. development. Now 30% of the 150 de- uh, development is allocated to, depending on how many tax credits you receive, allocated to uh, uh, individuals who receive 60% or less of the so, AMI. So no, no. So okay. let's say you are doing 150 unit development yes. and you are going to get 100% tax credit allocation. Okay. Then though that is what they call the ELLA term sheet. And so they haven't released the new term sheets yet, but the previous term sheets, you would have 100% of those units at 60% AMI and below. Got it. Got it. Okay. 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 Got it. So, um, please describe how one can apply for the affordable housing and the lottery process. I'm familiar, but... So, so New York City has what they call Housing Connects. Mm -hmm. So, now the the applications are all electronic and it's a lottery, right? And so, there is a point at which, during the construction process, the applications will go live. So, the, the company will... Um, or the developer will hire a company to market mm-hmm. um, and they have to follow the fair housing market regulations. And so usually about six months before um, the end of construction, okay. you will start to market the units and then you will make sure that the community is aware before the applications go online. Right. And then, you know, usually um, about that fifth, that fifth month before the applications will go online and, you know, you can go into Housing Connects and find, you know, that particular project and apply for the project. Okay. Got it. So Housing Connect dot, it's on HPD's website, mm-hmm. or you can just Google Housing Connect and you'll find the application there. 
Exactly. And that's for mostly with uh, families, you know, for just the ELLA program, as I just discussed. So that's open to general public in reference to families. When you have senior housing, mm-hmm. which is a specialty, then there's a, a little bit different regulations regarding that because, you know, you have to be within a certain age right. and you have to have other sort of income, you know, variations. And then there aren't any preferences. So usually, you know, community boards will, you know, position to make sure that there's some preference mm-hmm. for the local community. Right. However, However, when you offer something like senior housing where you have a federal program, you can't have preferences. The preference is really just for the county. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So that I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. And then also, you know, supportive housing, mm-hmm. then there's going to be 60% or more of that building is going to really come through a referral program as opposed to being open to the lottery, right? So you will have programs um, and organizations that will refer through DHS Interesting. Um, um, individuals and families for those. I didn't know that either. I thought the mm-hmm. supportive housing was, was a lottery process as well. No. So it's a it's referral, a referral. Through, the, through community-based organizations. And yes, and, and DHS. DHS. Interesting. Here we go. <laughs> a secret of the cell. Um, what are some of the challenges and barriers developers face daily? <laughs> so I think the biggest, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pro and a con. So, mm-hmm. you know, because de Blasio ran on affordable housing ticket. And, you know, there was a lot of work done by the Bloomberg administration as well in terms of affordable housing. The agencies are really saturated with projects now, right? Mm -hmm. There's really a backlog, believe it or not. And if you think about it, as you drive around New York City, you see construction going up all over the place. And so um, right now, developers really have to understand that they're in a position where they have to hold their projects. So they have to continue to work through the pre-development process, but they have to do so with the understanding that they're going to have to hold those costs on the books for a very long period of time. And if you're a smaller developer, that sort of puts you at a disadvantage because now the average project is about $1 million of pre-development costs. Right. Wow. So it's interesting that you just stated that because both Chris Bromwell, who was just here, in addition to um, Thomas Campbell, was here yesterday, mm-hmm. mentioned that that that's all of you shared a commonality, and that's mm-hmm. the same thing that the same, same response challenge. exactly. It's the small developers who who are don't adversely have, affected exactly. by that that because the agencies are telling you now, look, we're not going to get to your project probably until three or four years. Oh, my gosh. So as a smaller developer, to hold you know one million, two million dollars on your books for three, four years could, you know, put you out of business. (laughs) What exactly, what other options are there for smaller developers to? I mean, the only other options really are to partner um, and to, you know, negotiate deals with financers. Um, You know, once you have had some projects that you've closed on, then you're kind of better positioned to negotiate some pre-development costs up front with lenders that you have worked with in the past, but usually that's very risky, right? Mm-hmm. So it's risky for them to hold right. it on their books as right. well to give you a loan. So so it does put us in a very precarious situation. Again, you know, partnering is another way in which to address it where you can kind of work out deals to defray some of those costs. So your partner is also then taking on some of those pre-development costs as well. But at the but same it's time, difficult. they're also taking a part of the exactly. profit. Exactly, they're also so taking it's... part of the benefit as well. So it's kind of like, you it's, know, catch, catch 22. 22. Exactly. Yikes. Oh, boy. Uh, and are you creating opportunities for future women developers to enter into the sector? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit um, offline. So so we, we, you know, 
as a black woman and coming into this industry late, um, even having a father who was who was in the industry and deciding to do something different for my the majority of my career path, I'm very conscientious about giving other um, black women an opportunity in this in this sphere. And so we have two um, young women who are doing internships in my office now. Awesome. Iman is currently um, studying sustainability at Pratt yes. and she's doing some work um, with us and uh, Maya who ironically I taught her in, in seventh grade Oh wow! and we met um, recently um, at a meeting where we were able to identify and recognize each other and um, so she's now doing so she's in real estate general you know selling houses okay. and she now wants to understand the development yeah. business and so she's doing an internship with with us as well. I love that. Um, and then we recently, as I discussed, um, the New York City Department of Education in collaboration with Q, um, XQ um, put out an open call um, through the Imagine Schools Initiative where they are proposing 20 new high schools and 20 reimagined currently existing high schools. And so myself and a group of um, colleagues um, have decided to put forth a proposal, which was actually a project that I had sort of dropped seven years ago when I started to work with my family, where I was proposing a school specific to the real estate industries and really focusing on the real estate industry. I, th I feel like wow. people of color have been excluded yes. from, from the opportunities and real estate is really wealth and understanding finances and, and that whole aspect of, of the work. Um, and so it's, it's, it's key that um, we have the exposure exactly. for our students. So we're proposing a school called our, our School of Property Management, Architecture, Construction, and Engineering wow. with the acronym SPACE for the environment. So our space for the environment, we're proposing it in District 23, which is Brownsville, Brooklyn. Mm. That has always traditionally been disenfranchised in reference to the number of high schools that are offered in that community. And so we want to ensure that we have people of color, young people of color being exposed mm. to these industries at an early age oh, so God. that they can, we will see a generational change in oh reference to opportunity. I so. so, I want to pause right there. I so love that. I'm so, mm -hmm. I literally just saw that this morning when before this interview, I Googled your name and mm -hmm. I found the article about mm -hmm. it. it. The press release just came out yeah. about a few days ago. Mm -hmm. That just hit home so hard. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, it almost brings tears. Mm -hmm. I need to pause because we need to get this edited. <laughs> I'm really crying right now because... We do. We need it. We've been so excluded. And so we, we need to ensure, we need to teach our young African-Americans that this is an industry where we can strive and be successful just like anything else. Andrew, may I have some tissue, please? Oh, of course. Thank you. Uh, two, please. Um, Why don't I just bring you the whole rule? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I wish I knew about real estate, you know, when I was in high school. Yep. Oh, my God. It's... um. I had a conversation with uh, with some of the Eagle Academy. I'm I'm going to be teaching uh, at the Eagle Academy, and I want to bring you on board, um, exposing them to real estate. The young mm -hmm. boys at Eagle Academy. So I met um, 
pastor, Reverend, uh, his name escapes me, but I spoke to um, Barnett, uh, Aaron Barnett, mm -hmm. who's one of the founding members of um, Eagle Academy. And so I actually have to send him an email, but I'm going to start at Southeast Queens and then eventually ultimately Harlem and other locations, okay. all, of, all of their locations Great. and introduce them into the world of real estate. But knowing that you're creating the school mm -hmm. in Brownsville, I grew up in Brownsville too. Yeah. Me too. So I grew up in East mm -hmm. Flatbush and in Brownsville. It bring it opens a whole new world to these kids. It that really does. The opportunities that, and access. And so oh actually God. it's interesting because a young man, Amir, who I met through my church, actually Horace's program. Okay. He is actually one of the members of the, the design team. So because it's really I think a great part of this whole Imagine School concept is that they really want to get the students feedback as to how to design these mm. new schools in a way that mm -hmm. it will be really engaging right. for them. Right. And so um my colleagues have been phenomenal. In fact, the architects, think architecture, were the ones who brought the concept to me. They were like, we know you were educators. This is something you're interested right. in working with us on. And so I was like, definitely. In fact, I have a school concept that I can bring forth that I had sort of dropped a few years back. And um, we, we're just excited that we've been asked to, to move forward to the next step. I'm excited for you. Yeah. And they couldn't pick a better person. Thank you. Um, I think that that's so amazing. That's one of the things that, and one of the reasons why this podcast is created because of access to information, access to people that other, they wouldn't otherwise mm -hmm. know, and um, it, and opening up a whole new world to people that just th there's we've more been excluded from exactly on purpose, exactly. <laughs> intentionally, exactly. Um, so, what are some of the recommendations that you can give because? You don't do property management, right? No, no, okay, we don't okay. do property management. So actually, interestingly enough, my stepmother had started a property management oh, okay. company. And so um, we we try to support them as much as possible in terms of, you know, the projects that are coming online. We we, we refer them to LWC. We also support um, Shinda as well. Shinda um, is a designated property manager for um, a project that we were awarded by the city, mm -hmm. Glenmore Manor. Um, which is 233 units as well as a community facility space in Brownsville mm -hmm. and Chinda will be the property manager mm. for that for that space but yes um, as we discussed earlier again that's an area where a lot of African Americans have not really been exposed to and so you know I try to ensure that the one or two property management companies that are African American right. owned or you know owned by people of color whether it be Caribbean or what have you from the diaspora diaspora I um we refer the work to that's them. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. We have to take care of our own because exactly. who's going to take care of exactly. us? Exactly. We have to right. support each other. Just as you had mentioned before when Chris was here, you know, we can we can compete and we can also support each other. That's right. right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, and there are thousands of mid to large scale developers. However, the percentage of minority owned, especially women owned and black owned developers, are mm -hmm. it's like... It gets smaller and smaller. It gets smaller dramatically. Exactly. Um, what are some tips and recommendations that you might be able to give to a woman who wants to enter into the sector? I think it's really about exposure. Yes. And that's why the education piece is so important. Um, and, and, and the work that you're doing, right? Having a podcast and really letting um, individuals know that this industry exists right. and that there are people of color in the, in this industry um, and there are women in this industry. I mean, you know, unfortunately, we black women in particular, I, I believe, are are sort of 
under attack in this country mm-hmm. in a way. And it's, and it's odd because you can look across the world and now in every beauty pageant is a woman of color, right? right? And we look at that as a positive thing, and it is. Mm-hmm. However, we have to sort of break the cycle of women of color being exotic and beautiful, and that's the areas where we can strive and look at all the other areas right. where we are powerful and we are intelligent and we can give some have given and continue to give so much to the world. So then that's like real estate, finance, you know, mathematics, science, you know, like you said before, hidden figures. That's right. right? And so we have to begin to promote that construct where we see, you know, the typical um, understanding that this is a white male dominated industry. We begin to have to celebrate and promote and put out there that there are women of color in these industries as well, historically, that have made a difference. I mean, even everyone knows Madam C.J. Walker for beauty. However, she was also in real estate as well. She had a a mansion that she was able to capitalize on that real estate. Can can we pause right there? Mm -hmm. So Richie Lou Dennis, who uh, I think he is awesome, who I've, I've had the privilege of meeting, mm-hmm. the founder of Essence, Shea Moisture, yes. uh, Sundial, acquired the Madam C.J. Walker, Walker property. mansion. Exactly. But he didn't just acquire it just for himself to to go and live in. He acquired it to create a think tank exactly. for women of color, color. and young entrepreneurs. That Continuing is fun- on her legacy, right? Because <laughs> people don't know that. Exactly. They don't know that. I can't wait. I can't wait till it's open. Mm-hmm. And they're also working on a documentary, by the way. Yes. So I cannot wait. Exactly. So thank you for so bringing that's that part what I'm up. saying. Exactly. Yes. That's we have to know our history, and I right. think we have to begin to recognize all of the, you know, the work that women of color have done historically and, and today. All of the black excellence. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So can you share a little bit? Like, what's um, these are your notable projects right here, which mm-hmm. I mentioned. Uh, you have the challenge. Preparatory Academy Middle School Expansion, um, Alice Coringe Senior mm-hmm. Residence mm-hmm. in New York, the Brinquin uh, Tenant Rehab, mm-hmm. uh, the Ebenezer Plaza. I remember mm-hmm. that one yes. in Brooklyn. You have the Glenmore Manor in Brownsville. You have Thomas and Lily Keller Manor in the Bronx, which are named after your father yes. and stepmother. I love that. <laughs> and uh, so, what are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on and notable ones? Well, these are all notable, obviously, <laughs> but some of the ones that really resonated with you. I think the one that I have to speak about um, is Ebenezer Plaza. Okay. And that, is, that is the largest project that we are currently working on. It's a joint venture that we, we started with the Church of God of East Flatbush. Oh, they yes. owned two city blocks in Brownsville, and they were originally slated to you know, develop community facility. They wanted to move their church from East Flatbush to the Brownsville area um, and build a larger church. And um, through a series of challenges, <laughs> um, which they, I know you can handle, right? We were <laughs> we were able to 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 finally get the um, property um, transferred into an HDFC where we were proposing not only the community facility house of worship. 
but also 530 units of affordable housing and 25,000 square feet of commercial retail, um, which will be transformative for that particular area in Brownsville. That's right. Um, Is that the one right off of Linden? Right off of Linden, exactly. Near the Brownsville Recreation Center, which I used to go to. Exactly, right across the street. Wow. That's awesome. um, And the Barons were instrumental in ensuring that, you know, there's a level of affordability and Mm -hmm. permanent affordability so Mm -hmm. that people who have been in the community will have access to, you know, a new well-built building Um, and so we currently have 315 units under construction at various stages of of the construction process and then we will have another 200 and so units that will come online Um, we're excited we're really excited about this project and it was really wonderful working with the Church of God of East Flatbush they have just a phenomenal uh, congregation under the leadership of Bishop Nelson who's just a wonderful person and um it's, it's just been a great journey. There's, you know, like, I feel like whenever you're doing something in in the good, mm-hmm. you know, the bad always kind of steps forward and starts doing its thing. And so you have to just kind of remain steadfast and right. know that in the end, goodness will prevail. And That's I think right. this project is such a example of that. What, what, uh, how long was this process? So we actually met with the church in 2014 Mm. um that was the first meeting that we had with the church my father was still alive then and um we actually didn't start construction until 2018. wow yeah so these development projects are a long process yeah so all of that was the pre-development phase of going through the bureaucracies of the city agencies? Right. So we had to actually fully rezone this because the, oh. the, the lots were not did not allow for residential development. They were manufacturing. That's right. That's zoning. Right. And so we had to do a full ULERP. Um, and then also, mm. just like you said, negotiating with the agencies and getting in the pipeline. So it was a it was a, a it was a long wow. process. Yeah, I, I literally grew up right right up the block from there. Right. Yeah, that's Awesome. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you. I'm super excited to see that. And um, any other projects that you, that really resonate? So we're excited about, um, we have a project in Far Rockaway, Queens, very oh, similar to okay. Ebenezer Plaza, where we've partnered um, with the Auburn Church of God, also very longstanding in the community. Um, and we're do- proposing 239 units of affordable housing, as well as um, a Christian school and a... Um, new supermarket that will focus on like fresh That's foods right. for the community. So we're excited about that project as well. And um, when is that slated to be completed? That's slated to be completed 2023. Okay. Yeah. So that was part of the downtown rezone. So we yes. didn't have to rezone it, but we're working now with the agencies to, to get to a construction loan closing for the project. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited about that project. And we just have a number of projects. We're doing our first supportive housing project, which I shared with That's you. That's right. And 92 units, um, again, in the Far Rockaway community. We're working with CORE on that. That has traditionally done transitional housing. And so, again, we want to support um, other organizations that are African-American-owned. So we're we're working with them to now get them into a space of providing supports for permanent housing. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I lost track. How many units in total have you completed? So we currently have <clears throat> 500 units under construction okay. and another 958 in 
the pre-development stages. Wow. But what about the ones that, that you've completed? So we, I don't even know what the total number yeah, of units that. are that my father <laughs> has actually built. Um, but remember, we were just contractors. We didn't right. actually get into development until 2010, 2012. So we have like 230 something units that we actually own. But before that, we just built and that was it. We weren't part of the ownership. So that's another piece that, so the difference is really, you know, um, Chris's family got into actual ownership right. much earlier than, than my family did, right? We just, yes, yeah, so my father was just, he loved building. Right. And he didn't really, again, even being in the industry, he didn't appreciate the value of actually owning as opposed oh, to just building. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, but I didn't even realize that you own that many units though. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just, you, you're building them and then you mm-hmm. move on to the next project. Mm-hmm. So no, you, no, you're part of the ownership structure. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's another aspect that. Okay. So as a developer, me. you're part of the ownership structure. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And the percentage varies from each uh, project? Yeah. The percentage varies from each project. So. Mm. It depends on, I mean, could you have, you know, with affordable housing, you will have an investor that comes in and they're the limited partner. So they are investing funds and in return for that investment, right. they are getting a lower tax credit, right? Mm-hmm. They're getting credits in terms of taxes, mm-hmm. right? That So that's their investment. But then you have the general partner, which is the developer and any other partners that they bring into the deal, and they're actually the beneficial owner of the property. Mm. And so that's why, as Chris was saying, you know, development is enticing, whereas some of the other fields in, in the industry are not as enticing. But it, it's, it's, it's key to educate so that's that right. everyone understands. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Wow. I, f- I feel like I want to ask you more questions. But I, 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 <laughs> there's so... Oh, boy. Um... Uh, I don't know that there's so much I want to ask you all at once, but I, I think, uh, we're running out of time and I think you are amazing at what you do. You. you are highly well-regarded in your field. Thank you. But again, many people don't know who you are <laughs> or not in the field. Right. Um, uh, but you're, you know, your family has left a legacy behind where that you've, you've, you grabbed that baton and you started yeah. running full speed. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I Thank love it. You. Thank uh, you. Where do you foresee Bristol Builders in the next like ten years? So, so we wanna we want to really offer, you know, the best housing available yeah. and all sorts of supports to to our um, tenants. And I and I really believe that the partnerships with the faith based organizations will make all that difference. Like right. I get chills when I think about ten years from now having you know, residents where a church is underneath or adjacent to and what are the benefits of that and right. what will be the long-term benefits yes, of that yes, yes. in terms of just community, right? That's right. That's and, right. And, and supporting one another. And so I'm really excited about that because almost all of our projects, there is a faith-based component right? where it's either a house of worship or some other sort of service that the not-for-profit organization or the faith-based organization will be providing right. not only to the tenants, but also to the community. That's so right. if we have, if we continuously have buildings like that in New York City, you know, what are the long-term impacts of that? I can only think that it will be good. Awesome. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really appreciate you for sharing your wealth of knowledge, Thank for coming you. here and um, joining Secrets of the Cell. 
I think you. you, again, are amazing. And um, I wish you all the best. And I know that you're going to win that bid. Mm. Oh, my God. Thank I, you. Because you have such good intentions for the community. It's not about the dollars. Right. It's not about... It's about the people. It's about the people. And, and you really exemplified that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me as part of your conversation and your platform and uh, allowing me to share the work that we're doing. Awesome. I appreciate it. Congratulations <laughs> on your endeavors. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. <laughs> well, thank you again, guys, for tuning into Secrets of the Cell. Um, we have uh, a lot of content that's a about to come out, but I'm grateful for the people who have already shared their wealth of knowledge and Erica Keller being here, one of them. Uh, so if you'd like to, is there a way that they can reach you, like maybe email or sure. something? Sure. Okay. It's Erica Keller at Brisa Builders with an S.com. That's B-R-I-S-A Builders with an S.com. And um, our office is 2009 Flatbush Avenue. And 718-774-6103. Awesome. So one of the things, one of the things I just wanted to uh, share with the audience as well is that not only are are my guests making themselves accessible to you, uh, whether it be for, are you open to like them sending you a resume or for Definitely. career opportunities? So Definitely. Every, yeah, everyone mm-hmm. who's been on this podcast has is open to you sending your uh, your resume to them for a career opportunity or if you have any questions. And Erica is also open to possibly JV opportunities, so joint ventures, mm-hmm. in addition to if you have a project that you want uh, to have assessed to see if there's an opportunity there, or if you're a faith-based organization thinking about development and not knowing how to start that uh, conversation, she is the person to go to. Trust me on that one. All right. Have an amazing day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>